Welcome to the Faith That Works in Real Life, the weekly sermon podcast from Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Hi, my name is Elena, and today we will hear from seminarian Eric Black. Let's get started. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, You did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, friends, welcome to the reign of Christ. This is the reign of Christ Sunday, just before Advent. And I hope you all had wonderful Thanksgiving holidays, you know, the kind where you ate too much, napped too much, ate all the wrong things, but you did it surrounded by family and friends. And we indeed, we indeed have much to be thankful for. Well, for the past few Sundays, we have been in Matthew's gospel, detailing the last days before Jesus is crucified. Our scripture today is the final discourse of this group of scriptures, starting with Matthew 20. The scripture for this morning in Matthew 25, 31 through 46 has Jesus our Christ coming back to earth. You know, it's kind of the ultimate wrap up 
It's the big settle-up time, isn't it? And he's not coming back poor and in a manger. No star, no wise men, no shepherds, no hiding out in Egypt. But he's back riding a cloud in glory with a whole bunch of angel backup. And I'm feeling a lot like when Pastor Brian said a couple of weeks ago, can't we find an easier scripture to preach on? Can't we all just preach peace and light scriptures? Believe it or not, one of the readings for today was out of the book of Ezekiel. Believe it or not, in Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet, there was the peace and light <laughs> that we could have preached on. Well, but this gospel reading, this is what God put on my heart. Because we as a church, we cannot shy away from difficult scriptures. And also because the message of this scripture is really not what we may think is the obvious. Historically, Jesus is just two days from betrayal. The message is not that the Pharisees are going to get theirs as part of the goat team, but that as Jesus is preparing to exit the world, the message is still what it has always been, and that is about what better way to get us into the Advent spirit, right? But first, we have to roll over some bumpy ground. Now, not one commentator that I read in preparation for this sermon spoke of this literature as being anything but apocalyptic. In other words, this is end-of-the-world stuff. There is no other way to spin it. Jesus has come back just like the Apostle Creed says that he would. He's got judgment on his mind for the living and the dead. And the use of sheep and goats is simply symbolic because in that culture, during the day, the sheep and the goats, they graze together. Not until the evening are they separated. This language would have been familiar to the hearers that he was speaking to at the time they would have understood this idea of this separation. Well, you know, we typically have read this scripture with fear, maybe even some dread. I, I know I have. Well, maybe with a little bit of God being judgmental state of mind. I thought God loves us, and here God is being divisive, right and left, sheep, goats. I wonder... What do we think? As a child, I was petrified of this scripture, wondering during every thunderstorm, every tornado watch, every cloudy day, if this would be the day, who will be the sheep? Who will be the goats? And let me clarify that goats in the, this context does not stand for greatest of all time. Oh no, in my childhood church, this scripture was all about how it was going to turn out for you. Sheep or goat, right, left. Did you do enough? Did you forget a sin that would land you in the goat camp? It puts you in a state of constant fear. And friends, this is exactly the opposite of the way that we're supposed to live. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that we were not given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, friends, that's a sermon for another time. But as children of God, 
Fear is not supposed to be how we live and how we have our being. So for a moment, let's lose this idea about who's going to heaven and who doesn't make the cut. We'll come back to it soon enough. But for now, when we read the scripture, once the angels have made the divide, and I've always wondered when he said he put them on his left and his right, his left, his right, my left, my right. I don't know, you know, as a mirror image, it can make a difference of where you stand, right? So you always wonder. The statement that goes to both groups, though, is the same. It's a qualifying statement, starting in verse 35, starting with those on the right. For I was hungry, and you gave me some food. In other words, when I was going through a tough time, you came and you gave me some food so I could feed my family. I was thirsty because the lead in my pipes have leached into my water and the water coming out of my faucet is not suitable to drink. And you bought over, you bought over cases of water for me to drink and to bathe in and to cook in. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. You saw me at the local Kroger there and I'm trying to figure out which way is up, trying to find out what I needed. And you stopped and you said, can I help you? And you helped me to find what it was that I needed. I was naked. I didn't have, I had insufficient clothing for the day. You saw me walking down the street in a jacket when I should have had on a long coat. And you helped me out and you eventually saw that I had clothing. You pointed me in the right direction where this could happen. I was sick, you took care of me. You noticed that my car hadn't left my driveway in a little while. You came over and you knocked on my door and you said, are you all right? I noticed that you haven't left your house here and you found out that I was sick. I was unable to take care of myself and you took care of me. I was in prison, you know. I found myself on the wrong side of the Justice Department because of some bad decisions that I had made. But you know what? You overlooked that. And you came to see me in prison. You visited me. And of course, no one is singled out. You is plural here. But for us, it can also be singular. Notice during this part of the discourse, the qualifiers aren't big things that you have to have fed 5,000, or that you have provided water for thousands, or that you had to go to the border or other places to find thousands of strangers to help and to, that needed help. Notice that in order to land on the right side, you didn't have to clothe an entire community. You didn't have to go to thousands of people's homes to take care of them, or visit thousands of people in prison. You know, of course, I'm being facetious, but it's also so very true. Faith That Works in Real Life is brought to you by Messiah Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. To learn more about how to connect with our church community, visit www.messiahlutheranfortwayne.com. Let's get back to the message. Big deeds, those big deeds are not what gets you on the right side. Here's where our faith, it's our faith that pushes us into action this is where we get past thoughts and prayers into actually doing something where the rubber, some might say, hits the road. So did these people on the right side work their way to the right side? Oh my goodness, Martin Luther himself rising up out of the grave. No, of course not. We can no more work our way to salvation 
or the right side, then we could swim to the moon. And as a side note, please do not read right and left into any political affiliation. This is totally symbolic as throughout the Bible, God works mighty things with his right hand, the psalmist tells us. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, as we hear in the Apostle Creed, and so on. In this discourse of Jesus, it is faith that lands people on the right. The works that are mentioned are a natural response to the faith that is at work within them. See their response in verses 37 through 39. When did we? And you know, this is not fake surprise as we do sometimes. Oh, you did this for me? No, this is unscripted surprise. Those people working out their faith were simply doing individually or in community those things in their community that manifested themselves as hunger and thirst and stranger, inadequate clothes, sick or in prison. When Jesus says, when you did this for the least of these, my family, you did it to me. These people on the right are not puffed up with pride, exulting in how they made the cut. Rather, they are surprised that their work has been noticed at all. In Matthew 6, 3, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount when he advises that when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And if you've ever wondered how this could be, those on the right side are giving us an example. They are faith-driven to love their neighbors, and the good works that come from them are manifestations of that faith. Then the scripture says they are invited into the kingdom to all of the magnificence and wonder and splendor that God has established before the foundations of the world. 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us that no eye has seen, no ear heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love God. Well, it's time, as I said, we would come back to the people on the left side. What seems to have landed them on the wrong side of paradise is not what they did. It's what they didn't do. They are people just like the people on the right. Very little difference. They lived in the same communities just like the people on the right. They knew the same sick people. They saw the same stranger there in Kroger. They saw the same hungry people and unclothed people, the same people in prison, the same people who were thirsty. And let's get it out of our minds and our hearts right now that all of these concerns are physical. There are people now, like then, whose sickness is not in their bodies. There are people now, like then, who are thirsty for more than a drink of water. There are people now, like then, who are hungry for more than food. There are people today, like back then, who are experiencing a reality where the bars do not make the prison. When the Holy Spirit acted on the hearts of the people on the left to ignite the flame of faith, in them the Spirit was resisted. And friends, that is one thing that the Spirit will never do, is force itself on you. It's what they didn't do in terms of loving their neighbor that puts them and us in danger of judgment. So please notice now what the scripture as a whole says about the people on both sides. Yes, think about it, keep searching, 
you're right. Nothing. You won't find anything in that scripture that's descriptive of who's on the right side and who's on the left. Because they were this way, this is what landed them here. Because they were that way, this is what landed them here. No, there's nothing there. Nothing different, no different color hair, no long hair, short hair, no hair, no tattoos, piercing, being LGBTQ plus IA, being immigrant, being different, or anything else. Absolutely nothing is qualifying or disqualifying anyone from being on either side. You see, this is the good news laid out for us in this scripture. God is not looking at what you look like, who you love, whether your pants are up or down, whether your hair is long or none at all, whether you like ripped jeans, whether you prefer hoodies, skateboards, surfboards, or you got no board at all. God does not care. My friends, God loves you just as you are. God loves you just as you are. If you don't remember anything that I say, remember that. God loves you just as you are. You see, the people on the right side didn't have to have their act together to be on the right side. They didn't have to have their emotions in check, their disabledness conquered. They didn't have to raise perfect children or anything else. They had to have faith. It's their faith that saves them. Faith will yield works. <laughs> Don't worry about that. You see, this isn't fire insurance either. You can't pay its premiums by any amount of money that you just give to the poor, to the sick, to the immigrant, to the thirsty for bottled water, to the hungry for McDonald's, or to the person in prison to put on their books. That in and of itself will not save you. Only faith can do that. The one thing that bothers me about this scripture, though, is that it's so divisive. We have good and bad, right and left, those that go to eternal paradise, those that go to eternal damnation. While we're on the subject, let me just say one thing about what the scripture says about eternal damnation, hellfire, and so on. Verse 41 states pretty clearly that all of damnation was prepared for the devil and his angels. No human was ever meant to go to hell. I'm going to say it again. I'm throwing it out here. No human was ever made to go to hell. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Instead, humans were meant to be with God. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is not slack, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all, all, should come to repentance. You see, my friends, this scripture is not about sheep and goats. Who gets in? Who gets left out? Who's on the right? Those on the left. The scripture is about love. It's about God's love for us. It's about loving our neighbor whenever and wherever we find them. It's about God desiring that none of us, none of us should ever perish. Well, along with dealing with our neighbor, as this scripture has shown us, we're also responsible for our neighbor in one other way. Matthew 28, 19, 20, this is the Great Commission, go into the world, baptize all nations in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is so much more than walking up to strangers asking them if they know Jesus. We must ask ourselves, 
has our faith shown up that no matter where we go, our lights are shining, inviting people to see God in us? Are we living a faith that is relevant for everyday lives of real people in Jesus Christ? And that invites them to do the same. It was Diedrich Bonhoeffer that reminds us from a different age. God loves human beings. God loves the world, not an ideal human, but human beings as they are, not an ideal world, but the real world. What we find repulsive in their opposition to God, what we shrink back from with pain and hostility, namely, real human beings. The real world, this is for God, the ground of unfathomable love. What can we do for our brothers and sisters to ensure that on the day of judgment, no one is left? What can we do individually and ask the blessed community to make sure that every person knows that God loves them and in the midst of all the pain and suffering that they endure, they are not alone for they're standing on the ground of God's unfathomable love. For the people who are here, for the people who are online, I want to tell you that there is nothing that you have done that will put you in hell. There is nothing you can't be forgiven for. There is nothing that you have committed. Nothing where you wake up and say, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just no good. I can't, be, I can't be allowed into heaven. It's not true. God loves you just as you are. So let our faith move us outside of these walls to the people who are strangers, thirsty, hungry, sick, in prison during this winter season, ill-clothed. But also let us share our light of Christ that shines in us. Let our lives be that only Bible that some people may ever read. You see, it's not about finding yourselves, ourselves on the right. It's doing all we possibly can to make sure that no one, no one is on the left. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said it this way, Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. The scripture is about love. It's about loving our neighbor wherever and whenever we find them. In another life, as a commissioned police officer, we had a saying, we all go out together on a mission, we all come back together. No one is left behind. What if we adopt that thought process when it comes to our brothers and sisters, our neighbors. No one gets left behind. Are we going to do all we can to make sure that no one on the day of judgment is standing on the opposite side of paradise? You see, we're in this together, my friends. We most certainly are not in the same boat, but we are on the same ocean of life 
heading towards that great day when Christ will come again. No, my friends, the scripture is not about sheep and goats. It's not about who's in, who's out. It's not about putting the fear of God into you, about threatening you with eternal damnation. No, my friends, the scripture is about Christ coming back and asking us the very simple question, did we love our neighbor? Did we love our neighbor? I can almost see Jesus saying, well, forget about what would Jesus do. Did you love your neighbor? Because if you love your neighbor, you're doing what Jesus would do. It's just that simple. Notice in the scripture, even love of God is not mentioned. It's what did we do for those our neighbors who were hungry, thirsty, strangers, sick and in prison or without proper clothes? Finally, it was Martin Luther who said this about the relationship we have with our neighbor. What is it to serve God and to do his will? Nothing else than to show mercy to our neighbor, for it is our own neighbor who needs our service. God in heaven needs it not. So let's make sure our faith answers Christ's question about our neighbor and our salvation light keeps them from being found on the wrong side of paradise. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening. To receive weekly messages like this, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If the message was helpful for you, please offer a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and help us spread the word about faith that works in real life. See you next time.